History Mini Docs Podcast. Welcome to Black History Mini Docs Podcast. I'm Bonita Brisker, affectionately known as Busy B, actress, singer, writer, director, producer, and co-founder and CEO of AgriSmart Inc., an international sustainable agriculture and management company. To learn more about what we do, you can visit agrismartinc.com and you can find me on any of the social media platforms. But that's enough about me. I'd like to take a brief moment to thank the curator and the executive producers of BHMD, award-winning film and television director, the beautiful Nima Barnett, and her very talented husband, executive producer, Reed R. McCants. The dynamic duo has produced hundreds of episodes of Black History Mini Docs, educating our youth and reminding us all of our great legacy and the contributions African-Americans have made throughout history. Today, our special guest is the very fine, renowned actor with a long list of theater, television, and film credits, too many to list, Jairus Lee Poindexter. Ladies and gentlemen, Jairus, Jairus, Jairus. Welcome, Jairus, who co-starred in several of my favorite movies, The Color Purple, Another favorite, Devil in a Blue Dress. Another favorite, Set It Off. Another favorite, Aquila and the Bee. Another favorite, Con Air. Dear God, the list goes on. And, and wait, <laughs> Dear God, no pun intended. That's not in vain. Dear God is another movie that my friend starred in. As much work that Jairus has under his belt, some may say, I don't know the actor Jairus Poindexter. Hey. Jairus may not be a household name yet, but Jairus Lee Poindexter is a Hollywood household staple considered very essential, always in demand, with scores of television appearances. He also co-starred in Martin, Law and Order, Grey's Anatomy, Everybody Hates Chris, the Parks and Recreation, uh, CSI, NYPD Blue, Californication, uh, the list goes on and on and on and on. The beat don't stop until the break of dawn. <laughs> I feel like singing. Oh my goodness. Fascinating, devastating. Jairus Lee Poindexter. Ladies and gentlemen, Jairus, Jairus, Jairus. Welcome, Jairus. Hi, Jairus. You know, I love you. I love your name. You are one of my favorite actors because you're so natural. Your acting is so honest. There's no pretense ever. It's, it's just truth telling. But first, man, please tell me how you got the moniker fascinating, devastating. Where'd that come from? Um, basically, I was in college, you know, and um, I was doing a lot of things, you know. I was, uh, I was good in a lot of things. I was one of those uh, jacks of all trades. You know, if I was in college, I was DJing, playing basketball, you know, on the squad. And, um, and people were trying to down me. So to keep myself up. I say, you know, I'm, I'm fascinated and devastating. Everybody else is still contemplating and meditating on how to be like me, <laughs> you know. So and I just kept saying it, you know, and they would be like, oh, you ain't this, you ain't going to be that. I say, oh, no, I'm fascinated and devastating, you know. It's amazing. You know, this is my first time hearing that story. And everyone I know in Hollywood calls you fascinating, devastating, Jairus Lee Poindexter. I mean, that really stuck. 
Yeah, I put it on my phone, you know. <laughs> my answering services had that on there, you know. How'd that, how'd that go? Tell me what that sound like. You know, just when, uh, you're, you know, you have reached a fascinating, devastating, generously point. That's, please leave your name and number at the beat. <laughs> I love it. I think I remember hearing that. Jairus, you are quite fascinating. You grew up in Chicago in one of the toughest neighborhoods in the country, in one of the top 20 most dangerous neighborhoods in the United States. Tell us where you grew up. I kind of grew up in the beginning when I was younger, all over Chicago, 63rd Street. But uh, my best memories are when I uh, lived on 46th and Drexel in the Bethune Plaza Hotel. Uh, it was a hotel and a living facility right on 46th and Drexel. Um, I went to Bowsfield Public School, which was right around the corner. It was uh, actually on, it was on 46th, like the place like. And um, so that was the first place I grew up. Then we moved from there to 44th and Drexel. So, so, so tell me why a hotel? That's what my, my parents could afford. It was a, it was a hotel resident. It was a double kind of place. You know, uh, it was, they rented out rooms, but then people could live there also. Okay. So it was like that. It was a, you know, a hotel resident uh, place. You know, For low income housing or were you guys living large? I mean, no, just, you know, it was uh, in the hood, you know. Okay. Bethune Plaza Hotel, that was the name of it. And, you know, like I said, uh, we lived there. My uncle and them lived there. Everybody that kind of like came up from uh, the South kind of moved into that building that was kin to us, you know, on both sides, my mother's side and my father's side. And, you know, we stayed there until we moved out um, because we only had like, that was like a one bedroom. And um, then we moved to an apartment on 44th and Drexel, which was also a one bedroom. And you got to believe that we were crowded because I have five sisters and two brothers. So you talking about. Wow. OK, I get the full picture now. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, we know that um, West Garfield Park, West Inglewood, North Lawndale are three of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country. How far did you live from from those areas? And what was well, it like growing up in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country? Well, right now, you can consider most of Chicago is dangerous. Like uh, I went to um, Forest Field North, which was on 44th and St. Lawrence. Uh, that's where I went to um, uh, Upper Grade Center and Junior High School. And um, I worked in uh, Inglewood on 63rd and Halsted at the, uh, there was a, um, a Hillman's in the bottom of Sears and Roebuck in the basement of Sears, there was a grocery store. So I did, um, you know, I was a stock boy, I bagged there. So, you know, it was rough, you know, cause the, at that time, the disciples, which was a gang in Chicago, they ran yes. that area. And, um, I was coming from over in the, I lived in the Egyptian Lord area. So, you know, I had to like, Fake like I was a disciple, you know, every time I was open, <laughs> you know, had to, there was a certain way you had to block your hat back then. You know, there was a certain block in your hat that told that if you were a member of that gang or not. So when I got over there to 63rd and Austin, I just put a different block in the back of my hat, and, you know, 
went on in and worked in the store. But back then, a lot of the gang members didn't jump on you. Like if you worked in the store and you bagged their mother's groceries or you mm-hmm. helped their mother and stuff like that, they had like a little code, you know, you don't mess with this guy because, you know, he helps my mom. Now they don't care, but back then they did. Yeah, you know, I, I understand now even the safest parts of uh, Chicago have turned dangerous too. Um, now, with that being said, Jairus, how did you as a black man stay safe? while living in one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in the country? Uh, I guess blessed. You know, um, I went to, when I left uh, Forest Field, I went to Hirsch High School and I began, uh, that was in 1964. I was a sophomore. I got a job, like I said, I was working over at Hillman. So a lot of times when I got out of school at 3.30, I just got on the bus and went to work. You know, so that, kept me out of, you know, from out in the, in the streets. Did you uh, participate in any other uh, extracurricular activities? What were some of the activities you participated in? Well, I ran track, you know, while I was in high school. You know, I did that, and then I just went to work. I ran track, you know, uh, uh, half of the year. The other half of the year, I worked because I wanted clothes, you know. And my parents couldn't, <laughs> afford, they couldn't afford the kind of clothes I wanted, you know, so I went to work and bought my own. Did you now? I, I think I remember you being uh, kind of athletic, in, and you participated in in very. You said you ran track. Were you a basketball yeah, player at one point? I ran track in high school. Then I went to college. By the time I got to college, I got tired of running, and uh, so then I started playing basketball. Yes. And, uh, yeah, I started playing basketball in college. Um, Became, I think, I like to say I was like a little legend, you know, um, some of the street legends I played with, uh, there was a street legend who was my roommate uh, almost every summer, it was called Billy the Kid Harris, and he's known as one of the uh, best streetball players in the city ever come out of Chicago. Wow. Uh, there was another guy, Arthur Sibbles, you know, uh, Larry Jackson, uh, uh, Jim Bradley, all those guys I played with. Now, I was in their shadow. But I still was there. You know, these guys were like noted, you know, for playing ball. And I ended up walking on Northern Illinois University uh, Junior Varsity. Uh, I ended up, no, I, I never had played high school ball. And I ended up walking on, you know, the, uh, uh, 21 and 14. Wow, Jairus. You know, I, I remembered someone saying that you were a fantastic basketball player. So I, I was imagining that was one way to stay safe, you know, getting into sports and other activities. Um, those main streets in Chicago bred great talent. I mean, I, I know Chicago had multiple NBA championships and, and it's only three franchises that ever won three titles in a row. And, and uh, the Chicago Bulls uh, was one of those franchises and the Lakers, of course, Boston Celtics. So you've given us a glimpse of what it was like to live on the tough streets of Chicago. If there was ever a time that you had to make a quick decision, a snap decision that changed the course of your life and perhaps led you to Hollywood, um, what would that have been? Um, I think really to tell you the truth, my mother, you know, my mom, you know, I was out... You know, you get kind of like confused when you're growing up. You know, I'm growing up in the streets of Chicago and those guys out there, they gang banging and, you know, and extorting and stuff like that. You know, and I really wasn't into that. 
you know, and my mom, you know, she wanted me to go to school, you know, get a degree, get an education like that. So, you know, you got two different influences. You got the street life and you got this other life there where, you know, your parents want you to become something, you know. But it's kind of hard because when you go into school, so you're getting jumped on. They're not getting jumped on when they go to school. You get jumped on, you know. You're getting forced into a game, you know, because you got to get protection from somebody. Yes. You know, or you're going to get jumped on by everybody. So, you know, my mom, she kind of influenced me to make a decision to change my life. You know, um, I decided, you know, hey, I, I wanted to do something else. You know, I didn't want to, you know, be a, a statistic, you know. Was there ever a time where you were hanging with some of your friends and you could have made a wrong decision and you had to make a quick snap decision to avoid you from going down the wrong path? Well, there was a couple of instances, especially in college. You know, um, one time uh, uh, I thought it was a friend of mine. He was a lot bigger than me, you know, a basketball player, you know, slapped me in front of uh, the um, the crowd in school. You know, it was a game and uh I was talking and he all of a sudden just jumped up and slapped me, you know, but he was like 6'11". So I wasn't about to fight him, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but um, I was angry about that, you know. And here I just came from Chicago, so it was like a sense of pride, you know. And so I wanted to, like, get him back. And um, my plan was to, like, wait till he come out of one of the dorms that I knew he was in, and then I was just going to shoot him in the knee. You know, I, wasn't, I didn't want to kill him. I just wanted to hurt him. But then... Um, when I sat down and thought about it, you know, this guy here was, a, was like a really, really good basketball player. And our team had a chance to go, you know, to go maybe make the title. So then I just like said, you know, forget that, you know. I said, I end up in jail, you know, and, and my mom be crying and all that kind of stuff. So I just said, you know, forget that. That was the one instance. And then another instance when a guy tried to kill me. And then I was just going to get him back, you know. And, um... Just some just said, hey, leave it alone. I always got these sometimes these little voices that told me, you know, not to do this or, you know, it's better not to do that. You know, it was the same voice that when I moved to L.A. and I was homeless and, and you know, I could have went home. But there was this voice say, no, stick it out, stick it out. You know, so. And that proved to be your destiny because you were very successful in your career, your chosen career. We heard a lot of these tough stories growing up in Chicago, especially from our beloved president, uh, my beloved president forever, Barack Obama, who settled in Chicago's uh, racially integrated middle-class Hyde Park after graduating from Columbia University. He accepted an offer to work as a community organizer in Chicago's largely poor and uh, Black South Side to help improve conditions in the uh, public housing projects. Did you ever have an opportunity to meet President Obama? No, I never had the opportunity to meet him. I, I would like to have met him and played a little basketball against him, you know, see how good he was. Yes, I know. You, you both have so many things in common, which brings me back around to you, my love. During your college years, um, you were influenced by a figure, a political figure, who ramped your engine to start a movement. So tell us about 
this movement? Uh, when I was when I went to uh, Northern Illinois University, if I recall right, it was like uh, twenty three thousand whites and three hundred blacks. Uh, Two hundred were women, and we were getting racially attacked on campus. Uh, there was a lagoon that flowed through the campus, and then uh, the women that had night classes, the uh, the whites were literally throwing them off into the lagoon. You know, and these women had had. had Arms in their hair and had had their hair done for the weekend, and then you know the, on Thursday getting thrown into the lagoon. So you know their hair is all messed up. So uh, <laughs> could have been more uh, dangerous than that. Yeah, and then we had a I think in '69 that was a riot at our school, um, and um, we took over a dorm, and all of us, all the you know minorities, just kind of basically stayed in one dorm. So then that kind of prompted me to, uh, you know, I was an activist, you know, uh, I had been fighting in gangs in Chicago. So when I got to uh, college and they said we were fighting white folks, I said, oh, wow, this is great. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know I mean, you know, I, I came cause for the movement. Yeah. You know, I grew up in Mississippi, you know, uh, before I came to Chicago, you know, most of my life, a lot of my life was spent in Mississippi, you know, down in uh, Macon, Mississippi, which was one of the most racist cities in mississippi and so uh when when i went to college they said okay you know we find you no know, white people because they doing this dude i was like oh cool so you know <laughs> oh, that's funny jared so then uh then i i decided you know i got politically involved and i started a uh, um campaign to have an naacp chapter on uh our on northern illinois university's campus and then I finally got a charter in which I uh, was able to work and meet with um, Benjamin Hooks, who was the national head at that time. Yes. And I, and I think Herbert Stringley, he was the um, Illinois state head. And I, you know, I, get, I took a picture and stuff. I still have my picture and stuff that I took with them. Uh, let me see if I can put, I mean, yeah, I got it right here. <laughs> this is the picture I took. Oh, that's so beautiful. Yeah, Take it down just a little bit because of the glare. Okay. There it is. Yeah, nice, Jerry. That's, uh, that's Benjamin Hooks, my roommate, and uh, the head state of Illinois. They're giving me a charter uh, for the college campus. I also got uh, um, Benjamin Hooks' uh, private number at the time because uh, the, uh, the Ku Klux Klan had approached me in, in, uh, on my job in, in, uh, in Northern. And um, so he gave me the number just in case anything happened, you know. They approached they, you with threats? Well, I was working on a job. You remember back at that time, there, uh, there was an affirmative action. Yes. And a lot, of, a, lot of, a lot of blacks got into college only because of affirmative action. And we only got a lot of jobs because of affirmative action where they had to have 10% minority or showing that they were trying to get that. And so I got hired on jobs, you know, only because I was a, a black man. And they needed a black man, but they didn't want me, <laughs> you know. So um, I, I was working on a job out in the outskirts. We were laying a blacktop because, of the, you know, a lot of the times the roads were still rocky. And um, the guys, they approached me, you know, I, I thought they were just workers working with me. But at lunchtime, they circled me around and they said, uh, you know, I heard you started one of them NAACPs at that college campus. And I said, yeah. They said, you know what that stands for? I said, National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. And they told me, no, it don't. It stands for Alligators, Apes, Coons, and Possums. Oh, my. 
Goodness. And they laugh. And I got, you know, I'm militant, so I got a little angry, but some, the voice again, say, don't do nothing. They gave me a business card. Card said, you have been paid a friendly visit by the KKK. What? Over. And on the other side, I say, should you be paid an unfriendly visit? And it was a big question mark. So I'm sitting up there and I'm not, you know, I want to hit this guy, but some said, don't do nothing. I put the card in my wallet and I walked away. I remember I got home, I cried, I thought I was a coward. And I told my mother, I called my mother and I talked with my mother and my mother told me that that saved my life. Jairus, that saved your life. Your said, calm resolve and your quiet wisdom saved your life. And there was nothing uh, cowardly about that at all. So I'm so glad that you were thinking uh, in those terms to... That's a very pivotal moment where you thought properly not to strike this guy. It saved your life. Oh, my God. Wow, Jairus. That is fascinating and devastating. You are indeed a potpourri of talent. You have done so much with your life, uh, sports, entertainment, um, starting a chapter for the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People. Um, Oh, I love it. I want to take a moment. That that was very heavy, Jairus. Jairus Poindexter. That was devastating. And a fascinating story at that. Take your time, my love. You probably have never talked about that in many, many, many years. That's my first time ever hearing about that. Wow. You are certainly one of my favorite people in the world. I told you that. And um, the more I talk to you, this is my first time, as long as we've been friends, this is my first time ever hearing some of these stories that we're talking about. And, um, that was something that will forever uh, change my perspective of you. And I certainly think your strength and your resilience has uh, kept you with us today, still doing these wonderful things. And, and um, you are certainly fascinating. That was a devastating story. Jairus, you are just a potpourri of talent. You've done so much with your life, um, sports, entertainment, starting a chapter, the National Association for the Advancement of Colored People, continuing the legacy that started with W.E.B. Du Bois, founded in 1909. Very, very, very impressive, Jairus. Jairus, I'd like to talk more about your illustrious career. I am just living to ask you more about the color purple. I remember your role vividly in the juke joint scene. And for anyone listening or watching, if you haven't seen the color purple, please do yourself a favor. But let's take a short break for a special BHMD moment. And we'll be right back with Jairus Lee Poindexter. <laughs> Oh, 
born in Harlem in the 20s. James Baldwin, boy preacher turned writer, became an important voice for black America's struggle for unity. When I was growing up, I was taught in American history books that Africa had no history, and neither did I. But I was a savage, savage, savage. The writing first started appearing after World War II, publication in such magazines. The Partisan Review and... Commentary. Baldwin's first Go novel, a semi-autobiography, American classic and bestseller. His first collection of essays, Notes of a Native Son, won critical acclaim as well as the powerful Giovanni's Room. Baldwin wrote plays as well. The Amen Corner. And his 1964 Blues for Mr. Charles was produced by the Actors Studio in New York, a first. The truth is, the Negroes have been fighting to obtain their rights, and the country has ignored it. And the technique of the country has mainly been to accommodate it or to contain it, but never really to change the situation. Whether he was debating Buckley at Cambridge University or re-educating white reporters on network television, Baldwin was fierce and unflinching. The American white republic has to ask itself why it was necessary for them to invent the nigger. I am not a nigger. You know, I never called myself one. James Baldwin, writer, novelist, activist, freedom fighter. Welcome back to BHMD. I hope you enjoyed that special BHMD moment as much as I did. I'm Benita Brisker, and we're here with the fascinating, devastating Jairus Lee Poindexter. Jairus, um, before our break, uh, you shared that incredible, devastating story about the KKK and receiving a business card from them, uh, and you became very emotional. Um, it's obvious why that still makes you emotional today. Do you still have that card? No, like that, like uh, that was what thirty years ago or more, eighty, seventy nine, eighty. And and that wasn't a long time ago for something like that to, you know, happen that you think would have happened in the 50s or 60s. That's not that long ago. Why did the emotions come so heavy with you now today? I'm weird in the way sometimes I come out of myself and look at myself as a like a, another person. Um so when I times when I'm telling a story, I don't see myself as that person in that story. I see myself as a different person. And then I start feeling for that person. So I guess when I was telling the story, I started feeling for that person that went through that. You know what I'm saying? You understand what I'm saying? I do understand what you're saying. I, I, I like you out of, I'm like out of myself, but I'm seeing this person that went through that. And I'm saying... You know, this person went through that. Then what happened? You know, after that, after he went through all of that. So you know, then that. And and happened. what ha and what do you think happened to that person? Well, well, you know, the person went through a lot. But then after all that was done, you know, uh, he was ridiculed, and then no, no, nobody seemed like they cared. You know, you know, you are uh, here. You here. You are protesting to get more black teachers into the university and you're risking your grades, you know, and getting and your life. Yeah. And your life and getting kicked out of school. And then you turn around to be ridiculed by the same people that you know, that you're standing trying to stick your neck out for. 
you know, and then uh, to be, you know, abused, you know, verbally and, you know, emotionally, you know, that's that's rough stuff, man. You know, again, I say you are among the greats because uh, even Jesus risked his life to try and teach the masses of people about love and honor. And you, Jairus, are just as so many, you know, I compared it to you starting another movement as, as or another chapter of the movement that uh, W.E.B. Du Bois started in 1909. And you have picked up the gauntlet. And with those uh, movements comes a lot of sacrifice and, and ridicule, you know, but there are a lot of us who do care and we appreciate, you know, the sacrifice that you made, the sacrifices that you've made. And, and uh, hey, the world is a better place because of you. It may not seem like it. It may not feel like it because those um, moments are so painful. But look at where you are today. So, Jairus, my next question is a two-parter. The Color Purple is an epic coming-of-age drama directed by the great Steven Spielberg. And that's what you were just talking about. Those moments, those coming of age stories. And again, I say an epic film, The Color Purple, because this film transformed many lives on many levels. Oprah Winfrey talked about how this amazing movie changed her life forevermore. Um, and, and Jairus, also, I know that you are an acting coach as well as an actor. I want to know how this movie changed your life. And is it true that you coached Oprah Winfrey on The Color Purple? Um, basically, I coached her basically for her audition, you know, for The Color Purple. Um, I, I was on the set, so, you know, we went over a few things while I was on the set as far as her character. Um, wow. But uh, um, when she was in Chicago and she auditioned, I was looking for her audition. You know, and I have a letter to that effect, you know, what she thanked me. Uh, I coached a lot of people, you know, um, worked with a lot of rappers. You know, I worked with uh, um, Snoop Dogg, Master P, um, um, name them, Mystical, uh, 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 Silk the Shocker. Um, wow. All the, all the rappers you name as a coach. Wow. Because they were doing a lot of movies back in the day. Again, it's really fascinating. Um, you coached these giants, Oprah Winfrey being one of them. Um, and Oprah talked about how the film represented the bridges that she had to cross to get to where she is today. She talked about this being a film for her own self-discovery and her faith, um, the power to be who you are where she said she discovered love again, how to be impassioned by life. Uh, yes, that movie was a historical movement that changed my life even. How did that movie change your life, Jairus? Well, it got me into acting. <laughs> that, that was your big break. Well, it was, um, I had done a movie before that, uh, Bill Duke directed, um, called A Killing Floor which uh, was uh, starring Moses Gunn and Alfred Woodard. So, uh, yes, that was, yes that was, I remember that. Yeah, it won uh, the Critics' Choice Award at the Cannes Film Festival. 
Uh, that was my first film. And then when I got to um, California, I ended up getting in The Color Purple. And I worked with Oprah, you know, and got to meet Whoopi, of course, you know. Yes. And, um, it was really, really a close, close, tight set because, you know, everybody was trying to work hard to make this movie be successful because, you know, they hadn't been doing a lot of black movies in, in, uh, um, in, uh, in the industry. And they say a lot, you know, people wouldn't attend black movies, you know, you couldn't get no black leads and stars and nobody would, go, you know, and all that. And so, you know, we all worked together because everybody wanted this movie to be, you know, successful and great and put, make a lie out of them. So, you know, basically that's what we did you know yes you did yes you did you know for me having experience as an acting coach myself I understand the dynamics of helping someone um, engage in the quest of discovery and and knowing this you know I have to believe that you played a part in that epic change that made Oprah Winfrey a phenomenon in the color purple Jerry well, like can, can can you give advice. What advice can you give young people today and old people who are in the pursuit of happiness? Keep faith. One thing is keep your faith, you know, and uh, do the best you can, you know. Now, you're not put in the world by yourself. You're put in here to help others, you know, and if everybody was to help everybody, then we wouldn't have no need to have help. You know, so uh, my advice is, you know, like, keep your faith, man. And, you know, don't give up. No, don't don't let anybody tell you you can't do something, you know. And even if you don't accomplish it, strive to try to do the best you can to, you know, try to accomplish it. You know, I mean, I'm an example. You know, a lot of folks told me I wasn't going to be an actor. You know, how are you going to be an actor? You down here in the hood with us, you know. <laughs> but, you know, I, I didn't listen to that. You That's know. right, Jerry. Did did you ever get a chance to go back to Chicago? I Con Air, I think, was a movie that was filmed in Chicago. Did you ever get a chance to go back to Chicago to those naysayers and and show them? You know, I mean, obviously, you didn't have to go back and show them because you are all over the television and 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 the big screen um, over and over again. So, what do those naysayers have to say to you today? Oh well, of course, I'm a boy. <laughs> <laughs> you know yeah you told us you weren't gonna do it but you did it. you were always crazy you know we knew you were gonna do something you know you know um it's, it's a good feeling to come back I'm, I'm here in chicago now you know and it's a good feeling you know to come back you know and um you know um those that kept faith in me you know they feel pretty good you know because they can go around and brag now you know i told you <laughs> i told you you know and then the ones that uh um that down me and stuff like that, you know, some of them have come back and say, Hey man, you know, I know I talked about you and stuff like that, but you did it, you know? That's so, right. you know, you know, so, you know, it, 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 that's all in the past. Like with me now, now I'm trying to deal with my future. I'm trying to get myself healthy so I can get back out there and do some more work, you know? So that's right. Jerry's Poindexter, you, yeah. my friend are considered a history maker. And, and with that being said, we're running out of time. So I just want to say congratulations, Jairus, on all of your success. Thank you so much for all of your contributions to our history and culture and for sharing your time with us. It's been so awesome, Jairus. Tell us what we can look forward to. You already said you're going to get back to, uh, you know, making more movies and, and, and back to your 
your career, which you have never left. But what can we how can people reach you through your social media pages or your management or talent agency? They can go through my talent agency, you know, which is the Hayes Talent Agency. Awesome. Uh, I go, you know, Michelle Hayes, just give her a call, you know, and, and ask for me, you know, and uh, and, we'll and that's go. how we do it. All righty, then. That's a good deal. Jairus Lee Poindexter, keep making history. Let's keep making history together. All right, hon. Thank you so much for tuning in to Black History Mini Docs podcast. And please look for more exciting episodes to come. And please subscribe to BHMD. Hit like, hit love, share, and leave us your comments with whatever is on your mind. We'd love to hear from you. I'm Bonita Brisker. Take a break to create a very empowering moment in time. Be strong, be safe, be well, be kind. Let's <laughs> see